You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, we finished up a five-week series called The Story We Tell. And as part of our vision series, and as part A of our our vision series, and so we're moving into the next four-week series, which is part B of that series, and it's called Living the Story. And the question we're going to wrestle with is, what does it look like to make disciples here, today, in Missoula? Because our mission statement says, that, we're gonna, that we are raising biblical disciples who develop transparent relationships, sacrifice for others, and heal divisions. So how do, we, how do we make disciples? Our reasoning for being a relational discipleship church comes out of Jesus' last command with his disciples. And that reads this way in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if we remember back to last week's story, we're looking at the story of Gideon. And the angel of the Lord came to him, and the angel, well, the Lord tells him to go, right? To go defeat the Midianites. But he also said, I am with you. So it's kind of interesting, go, and I'm with you. It's what the Lord said to Gideon. Jesus says the same thing to you and I. Go make disciples. I am with you. Go make disciples. I am with you. And honestly, that's, that's something that really brings me comfort because I want to do what the Lord has commanded. But I'm not always sure if I know how to do what the Lord has commanded. Jesus had 12 men that he discipled for three years. He did life with them. He taught them things. He trained them up. He equipped them. He gave them responsibilities. He released them to do ministry. And now, after his resurrection, he commands them to go and make disciples. The same way that he'd made disciples of them, he asked them to make disciples of others. He says, and I will be with you even to the very end. There's a a fantastic book by Ann Spengler and Lois Tverberg called uh, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus. And if you want to look more intently at what it looks like or what it was like for the disciples to sit at Jesus' feet as disciples, this this book is a great starting place. In In their book, Ann and Lois tell us that the concept of discipleship comes out of the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. And so we read about that here in 1 Kings 19 when the relationship just starts. So he, being Elijah, 
departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. This is 12 oxen. That's a barbecue. I want, I want him to invite me to his next barbecue. I'll tell you what. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now, Anne and Lois state this. When Elijah called Elisha, the younger man gave up everything, abandoning his prosperous farm to become Elijah's personal servant. Can you imagine 12 sets of oxen plowing the fields? That was not common in Israel at that time. He gave up everything, abandoning his prosperous farm to become Elijah's personal servant, humbly attending to his needs and accompanying him everywhere he went. Like any disciple, and this is the part I want you to focus in on, Elisha's goal was not just a study from Elijah, but to become like Elijah in order to carry out his ministry as a prophet of Israel. We have a similar goal. Our discipleship, when we are discipled, we are to look something like the people that discipled us. But more than that, we are to look like Jesus. That is the goal of our discipleship. So, what is our definition of discipleship? Matthew 4.19 reads this way. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Disciples of Jesus, there's three characteristics. They are following Jesus. Let me know if you follow Jesus. All right, lots of hands going up. They're being changed by Jesus. Again, Who's being changed by Jesus? And they are on mission with Jesus. That seems a little bit harder, doesn't it? Being on mission with Jesus. We kind of like the first two. We like following Jesus. We like being changed by Jesus. But in my Christian experience, being on mission with Jesus, living that out, seems a little bit harder. Maybe it's because we really haven't been discipled like the disciples were discipled. And maybe there's some gaps to our discipleship. And that's something as a church we want to together figure out. So as we go through the series, we're going we're gonna to use this graphic and it's in your bulletin. We got share, connect, minister, and disciple on the outer ring and the inner ring, it says far from God to infant. Then we have child, young adult, and parent. These are, uh, these are something. They're definitely something. These are spiritual markers of a person. Um, if someone is uh, brand new to the faith, we'd call them a spiritual infant. 
If they're a little further along in their faith, we'd call them a spiritual child. Uh, Paul says, you should by now, you should be eating meat, but instead you're, you still require milk. He's talking about people that have not um, progressed a lot in their maturity in following Christ, which is, which is not a bad thing. Being an infant doesn't make you less valuable than a parent. Infants and parents, they're equally valuable, but their needs are different. And so for us to identify where someone is spiritually just helps us understand what they need. And then we have things like share your life, share new truth, your story of the gospel, share new habits. This graphic is in your bulletin. We want to put it in your hands. This is going to give us the ability to have a common language about discipleship. When we talk about discipleship, what are we talking about? We know that Jesus was intentional in everything that he did, and he taught his disciples how to be intentional. And we want to teach you how to be intentional as well. I don't know about you, but there are a few things that have scared me more than anything than talking about my faith. Can I get an amen? I'm the only one. <laughs> we have a bunch of evangelists in the room. I love it. Um, and there's a number of reasons, but I think the biggest for me was I never really felt fully equipped to do so. You know, you start comparing yourself to Billy Graham, right? Who feels like they could stand on the same stage as Billy Graham, let alone share your faith like Billy Graham does, not me. And my biggest misconception is I felt like I had to sell people on Jesus. I remember sharing my faith with my friend Jeff. We worked together for, for a dozen years. I've known him for about 20 years now. And uh, when I would share with him, it just felt like, such hard work, like, like I was trying to break up solid rock ground that's frozen. Like it's, it's like I'm swinging an axe and nothing's moving. Have you had that experience where you're sharing with your friend and there's just no response and you're like, or the response is negative or it's apathetic. And you're like, what in the world? This feels awful. Oftentimes, I walked away from our conversations feeling like I somehow had failed Jeff. And maybe you've had similar experiences. Well, part of the problem was, at that time, I, I didn't know what my part was compared to what God's part was. Like, I was confusing those things. When I said that, I thought I had to sell them on it. Like, like this all, if, if Jeff didn't come to Christ that moment, then it all you know, resident within me and within my ability and, with, and somehow I was deficient. So I want to talk about God's part. God's part is to draw people, convict people, and reveal truth. And only he can do those things. John six forty four says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 
So if Jesus isn't drawing Jeff, my conversation is going to be, at least as far as I can see, fruitless. And then John 16, it says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so if I share with Jeff a spiritual truth and he doesn't feel convicted, or at least I can't tell that he feels convicted, maybe he feels convicted and I've just not seen it in our conversation, well, that's God's job, not my job. And then Matthew 16 says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, it wasn't Peter's intellect that led him to understand that Jesus was the Son of God. It was God working in Peter's life that led him to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe when, we, when people come to the point of recognizing Jesus for whom he is, we are actually seeing a miracle because our God has entered into our world in such a way for someone to know him as he is. So that's God's part. He draws people, he convicts, he reveals truth. I mean, at the heart level, he reveals truth at the heart level. We, we get to speak the truth, but the revelation of that truth where it actually hits the heart, that's God's part. Now, our part, we're going to spend the most of the time on this because it's the only part that we have any control over, right? I don't have any control over what my friend Jeff thinks or feels or comes to understand. I don't have any control over what God is or is not doing. And thank God that God is always at work. And so when I walk away from Jeff after our conversation... God is still there. God is with Jeff every step of the way. God loves Jeff. And oh, by the way, God saved Jeff. So there's some good news in that. But let's go back to our graphic. And we start by sharing our lives. You share your life with a person. This is where you get to know your neighbor, who they are, what is their background, what do they value? What is their spiritual story? I met my neighbor this week. Stevie got out. We have a bunch of high schoolers show up to our house on, on Monday. And if you're a betting person, you, you should bet that Stevie will get out on Monday because the odds of the door getting shut consistently is really low. It just makes for more excitement. And so Stevie got out, and Jacob went to check where Stevie was, and Stevie was running laps around Joshua, and Joshua, it looked like a cartoon, honestly, like Josh is diving at the dog, and the dog just runs around, and this looked, looked like Bugs Bunny and, and someone else, I don't remember who, but it was quite comical to everybody except for Josh. Jacob comes back in, he says, the neighbor found Stevie. And my only thought was, and I think this was a God thing, I get to meet my neighbor. 
I didn't care if the dog was safe, apparently, in that moment. I just, I'm like, I get to meet my neighbor. So I go meet my neighbor. She happens to be the president of the 4th D Club, which is the AA Club. And as the conversation went on, I started asking her, well, I, I, I kind of hinted that I was part of a church, and she said, what church? And I said, Mission Ridge. And, and I didn't think to tell her a different church name in case uh, she didn't think I was a good neighbor already. So, uh, so the facts were out. But I was engaging with her and starting to share my life with her. I wasn't ready to share new truth. Like that wasn't my intent. I was just trying to get to know her, to get to know her spiritual story. And I found out a little bit because she said that she loves Jesus, but she doesn't know what to do with the Old Testament. And I said, well, maybe we could sit down and talk about that. And she said, that sounds amazing. It wasn't hard work at all. It was an easy conversation. So share your life. Next, we share new truth. As we know them, we can share new truth with them. You could share a scripture that you recently read, which would have to mean you actually been reading some scripture recently, but... That's another conversation. Uh, you could talk about your conversation from care group. You could talk about your sun, the Sunday morning service. You could talk about this conversation here. And then share your story. Talk about your story before Christ, how you came to know Christ, and your story with Christ. These are the kinds of things we should be telling people. Our testimony is powerful. And we need to share Jesus is the Son of God. He died and rose again so that we could be connected to the Father, that we could have a restored relationship. He is my Lord. People need to hear the gospel. And like I said with my friend Jeff, over the years, I would share life with him. And I knew what was going on in his world. I knew the context of his world. And so I'd share things from Sunday morning, or I'd share things that I'd been reading as I knew what he was facing and I knew what he was dealing with. And for the longest time, I, I've, I've just had to pray after our conversations, like, Lord, I'm not sure if, if this is hitting Jeff's heart or not. I need, you, I need you to do some work here. Help me to know what my part is in this. And then a few years ago, we met for dinner. We used to be about an hour and a half away from each other, so we'd meet in Colfax, which was halfway, and there were three restaurants, and two of them were good. And uh, we met them at a Chinese restaurant. I think that was one of the good ones. And had a great time catching up on life, and dinner's done, and a check has come, and I think we are about done. And then he brings up a question about spiritual things, and then another question, and then another question, and then another question. I got the answer to all these questions, and I was seeing Jeff come to the Lord. And it wasn't hard work. Like the ground, I wasn't swinging an axe at a, at a, 
at cold, hard dirt, I was reaping a harvest. And so once someone has come to Christ, we continue to share our lives, we continue to share truths, and they still need to hear our story. There's probably more of our story they need to hear. And the gospel, they still need to hear the gospel. I still need to hear the gospel. I've been doing this for a long time, and I get paid to be here. I need the gospel. And then we need to share new habits with them. Once they come to Christ, we need to share new habits. Now, it says here in the middle, far from God to infant. Uh, there's lots of ways to talk about people that don't know God. The, the challenge is until we do life with them, we really don't know what the core issue is. And whether they're far from God, which means either they've never been introduced to God, or they were walking with God for a season, whether it be a long season, short season, and they got frustrated, disgruntled, they, they started living a life that drew them away from God, whatever the case, they're now far from God, and you don't know what the issues are until you do life with them. So, so they, they're either far from God, and they need God, or they're a brand new follower of Christ, and so they're, they're an infant, And I want you to picture a physical infant, like Christy and I, four times we did this. Uh, We had four infants at one point. And um, whether they're in the womb or out of the womb, just days out of the womb, their needs are really very similar. They, They need feeding, right? In the womb, that's an umbilical cord. Outside of the womb, probably a bottle, maybe a spoon. They can't feed themselves, right? So they need feeding. They need protection within the womb or outside the womb. They need protection. They need love. They need a safe environment. Once they come into the world, once they are an infant, whether it's a physical infant or a spiritual infant, they need protection. They need training. They need teaching. They need help. They need love. So this is our part, those of us who have some maturity. And it doesn't take a lot of maturity to help. Maybe you're months into being a follower of Christ. Or maybe you're a few years with following Christ. You know, a child can help with an infant, right? There's even two-year-olds to help with their little brother or little sister or their neighbor. I don't know, there's a Facebook ad or a Facebook post of this, of this little boy that I think he only had one arm. And he was helping uh, his sibling or, or didn't have hands or something, but there was some kind of uh, disability from birth and he was giving a binky to the sibling. Wasn't much older than the other kid. So we don't have to be very mature in our faith. We can be brand new in our faith, and we can share these same kinds of things. We could, if we're a little bit further along, we can help the person right behind us. And again, looking at whether or not someone's far from God or an infant or a child or a young adult or a parent, like that doesn't speak to value. It just speaks to what their needs are. What do parents need? Naps. 
We've got to give our spiritual parents naps every so often. So, we need to share new habits with people once they come to Christ, reading the scriptures, attending Sunday services, plugging in the care group, how to pray. These are things that we have to share with them. Now, this could just be real life. Could just be from the church we came from. Could just be theory. Or it could come from the scriptures. So let's test this out. In fact, we're going to take a look at the Samaritan story, the Samaritan woman's story found in John chapter 4. And I hope that you never look at this story the same again. Let's look at it. He being Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, we'll probably talk about this in our footnotes podcast, but why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? That's an interesting question. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was setting was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw the water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Hang on to that thought. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. She knows the rules of society, apparently. She's got that part down. For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you have asked him and he will have given you living water. Jesus turns this into a spiritual conversation. He's looking for an opportunity to engage with her beyond the physical world and address spiritual needs. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And then she's going to get spiritual with him. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Like she's throwing down the trump card. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Like she's she's going, you guys think you have it all figured out, you Jews. Us Samaritans are living where Jacob lived. So she's thrown down. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Which is true of Jacob. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Again, he takes us back to a spiritual conversation. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw the water. Jesus is sharing his life. He's engaging with this, with this woman. And this, this is happening really fast. Like, like Jesus is, 
the Son of God, and so I don't expect us to be able to do it this quickly. But this is an outline. This is a map of what it looks like for us to share our lives with people in such a way that they open up and start having these conversations with us where they're willing to talk about spiritual things with us because we've earned the right to be there with them. He's finding out who she is at the heart level. What's her background? What does she value? What's her spiritual story? That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are with now is not your husband. Now, we will talk about this in the podcast too, because there's actually a couple theories on what Jesus is talking about here. Both speak to the woman's need for a savior. Don't miss that. But we'll be talking about this on the podcast. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She is now fully engaged in this spiritual conversation. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, he was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus throws down the, the final trump card. I who speak to you am he. Jesus shared his life. And then he shared truth. He says salvation is from the Jews. And he says, which mountain you worship from will soon be replaced by worship that happens through the Holy Spirit. This argument between the Jews and the Samaritans will be erased through Jesus Christ. And then he shares the gospel. He says, I am the Messiah. I am starting something new. Now, I do want to say this. The reason why we're so convinced that sharing our life is such an important part to the, to the whole conversation. Um, my friend in the back, um, Glenn was at Costco last week and he was sitting on the side uh, of the road there at Costco with his dog, just, just chilling while, while Patty was in shopping. And this guy comes out and Look, I mean, look at Glenn. He's, he's a sharp-looking man. Um, but this guy walks out and hands him a track and says, do you know that darkness cannot survive in light? And Glenn's like, what? The guy never asks him a question, shares the gospel with him, and then leaves. Never asked him 
<laughs> do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you a follower of Christ? Have you served? Have you led other people to follow Christ? Like, never ask them any of those things. Just uh, spiritually vomited all over him, I guess, is a way to think about it. Um, I've been witness to more as a pastor. People have told me that I need Christ. And maybe they have been watching me. I don't know. <laughs> I guess if you watch me very long, you might come to that same conclusion. Man, that man needs Christ. Um, help me, please. That's why, we, that's why we talk about sharing our lives first. Continue on. Then... Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, who do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away. She came thirsty. Jesus said, if you drink of the water I give you, you will no longer be thirsty. And she walks away without her water jar. I'll let that sink in for a little bit. And she went into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So, so Jesus shares with her. She comes to understand who Christ is. And then she goes and she shares. Again, I hope you never look at the story the same way again. Because this is what it's supposed to be like. They went out of the town and were coming to him. So the town that the disciples were just at, they, they crossed paths with the woman. The woman goes to the town. Now the people from the town are coming towards Jesus and the disciples, and this conversation takes place. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Jesus sent them to town for food. I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said of one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Like, <laughs> is someone trying to earn points with the Messiah? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then the harvest comes? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Look, what is he pointing to? He's pointing to the Samaritans that are coming towards them. The same Samaritans that the disciples had just engaged with. They just went to buy food. They, just, they, they exchanged money for food. Like they just had some commerce. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. The disciples just came from that Samaritan town. They were there to purchase food. And they missed it. They either missed it out of busyness, like, man, we got to get back and 
anti-Jesus or out of prejudice. Which I think we can all identify with reasons why we didn't engage with somebody on a spiritual level because of either our busyness or our prejudice. It doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't really call him out on that part. He just says, I want you to recognize the harvest for what it is. I want you to see the people in front of you as people that need the kingdom. And oh, by the way, someone's already been plowing and all you have to do is reap. And here's a spiritual truth. You won't know if your job, your responsibility, your role in that moment is to sow or to reap if you don't engage, if you don't choose to be on mission with Jesus and do your part. You won't know if they're ready or not unless you engage. It starts by sharing our lives. We see Jesus do this. Sharing new truths, sharing the gospel. We see Jesus do this. And then we see the woman do the same thing. With as much as she knew, she shared her experience with Jesus. Sometimes we don't share because we feel like we don't know enough. But no one knows your story with Jesus better than you do. So who could argue against that? Start there. Start engaging. If you don't have the answers, that's true in life. How many times as parents did we not have the answers? And we had to go search them out. Like that's an everyday reality. And then continuing on, many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So that the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. People will engage in God's community with you because of your testimony. They will. Not everyone. Maybe not today. But they will. People will engage because of your testimony. I don't know when. God knows when. I don't know who. God knows who. Are you going to be on mission with Jesus is the question. And then their lives will be changed because of their experience with Jesus. And that becomes their testimony. You knowing about Jesus through me is not super redemptive. It may not be redemptive at all. You experiencing Jesus because of our conversations, that could be, that's the most redemptive thing I could think of. And if it's not through me, but through someone else, I, like I don't care who gets the credit. I just want people to experience Jesus because he's the savior of the world. He's absolutely worth knowing. And I maybe don't have it all figured out today, but I'm going to be on mission with him. And he says he's going to be with me even to the end. 
And so I'll get to experience him as I engage. Because Gideon experienced God in last week's story because he engaged in the things that God told him to engage in. Can you imagine telling that story, fighting 120,000 with 300 of the goofiest people you ever met? Can you imagine that, telling that story for the rest of your life? Like those are the kinds of things that just make a person jump up inside, right? Make you come to life. Jesus engaged the woman where she was at. He invited her into a conversation. He respected their differences throughout, but he was willing to share truth with her. She recognized Jesus for who he was. She shared her story with her community. They checked Jesus out because of, and because of their own interaction with them, their lives were changed. And Jesus trained his disciples to see the harvest before them. Do not let busyness or prejudice get in the way. So the implication is this. You are called to be a disciple of Christ and therefore a disciple maker. If you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to be a disciple maker. And the path of discipleship starts with share. And the application is this. Share your life, share your story, share the gospel, share new truths, share new habits. Like We're trying to put these things in bite-sized chunks for you. And we need to have conversations about these because we've all been discipled in some way, shape, or form, some more, some less. But we've all been discipled, but I think we have some gaps that we need to fill. We need to help each other with those gaps. And when it comes to sharing your story, share these things. This is my experience with the Son of God. This is how I received forgiveness. And this is what I'm experiencing now in God's community. We're going to move to a time of uh, communion. As you process, as you come up, talk to God about where you've been with your part of being a part of his mission. Have you been afraid to engage? Maybe you felt like Gideon and wanted to hide in a wine press. I've been that guy. Or maybe, maybe you're on the threshing floor and you, you want to throw down some fleeces and you're hoping that God will answer some questions before you move forward. Or maybe you're already engaged and you're enjoying the fruit of being part of God's kingdom and seeing people come to know him. Because I tell you, there is no greater miracle that I've seen. If I've been all three of those people. So where are you at today? Consider that as you come up and grab the elements. I love the fact that we get to come back to the table. Doesn't matter how our week went whether is we've done everything well or it was a complete dumpster fire. I've had both kinds of weeks. 
recently. And sometimes I feel so far from the Lord. But the Lord wants to make it so simple to just draw near him again and get back on path. I think that's why he invited us to do this. And this is why we do this on a weekly basis. Just to go, Lord, I am still in need of you. And I'm so grateful for what you offered us. And so the night which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he talked about the covenant of grace. He said, this is new covenant in my blood, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, I am so grateful for you. The salvation that you have brought, the mercy that you showed us, how you invited us into a life of experiencing you. Lord, I pray that we would do a really great job of communicating what it means to be in relationship with you, how to help others experience that relationship. We want to make it super simple, Lord, because it's super important to know what what it's like to experience the grace and forgiveness that you offer. We love you. We celebrate you as God. We're going to sing one more song, Lord. Please be glorified. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side. So are we live or are we Memorex here? I'm green. Are you green? Are we all green? We turned down the volume a little bit uh, with our band just to be good neighbors with our friends next door. So I'm not as loud as our uh, vocalists are. Actually, mostly Logan. He's got some. He's got some lungs. He's got some lungs.